Welcome to Prime Alpha's interview series, insights from industry practitioners discussing their journey and their discoveries. Hello, my name is Amanda Jogia, the CEO of Prime Alpha, an online ecosystem bringing together alternative opportunities and their investors. I would like to introduce Alex Anderson. Alex oversees the sales distribution of Time Equity Securities investment funds through the broker-dealer advisory community. He also has extensive experience in sourcing and analyzing new acquisitions. Hey, Alex, thanks for joining us today. Amanda, nice to be here. Let's start by talking about what led you here. Tell us about your career journey. Sure. Going back over 12, 13 years ago, coming actually right into the global financial crisis uh, in 2008, I secured a position right out of college at GBA Williams, uh, which is one of the oldest real estate brokerage companies here in Manhattan, New York. And I was there basically doing investment sales as a junior real estate broker. I went through quite a transition from GBA Williams being bought out by First Service, which then converted to First Service Williams, which then got bought out by Colliers. So I went through like three different business cards within a, court, within a matter of a year and a half. And also, meanwhile, trying to do investment sales as well as some office and retail leasing throughout 2009, 2010 which was probably one of the most difficult times to be not only in the real estate brokerage business, but also as a junior associate. In 2010, my managing director and myself and a few other people at the office broke off and started a company known as Rise Commercial, and this is based in Stamford, Connecticut. Now, they handled primarily a lot of retail leasing up and down the Westchester and Fairfield County corridor. I stayed focused on the investment sales pass and was you know, relatively successful at it you know, throughout that time period. However, for someone that is constantly uh, trying to pursue better heights of achievement for myself and have an ambitious personality, I didn't find the challenge intellectually in the investment sales real estate brokerage business. And I wanted to pursue something that could further expand my abilities and to broaden my knowledge base and experience and capabilities. So I took the very bold move in 2011 to actually uh, resign from that position altogether. And I spent the next eight months of 2011 setting up various different meetings with heads of real estate companies throughout Connecticut and New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, driving all over the place, meeting with all these individuals. It wasn't for the purpose of getting a job uh, or anything, but it was really more so trying to identify what my next step would be in pursuit of a real estate career. And I met with probably over 50 different companies and individuals throughout the course of this eight-month period. I have my wife to thank for carrying us financially through that time period. But I ended up reading an article in the Wall Street Journal where Francis Greenberger, chairman and CEO of Time Equities, had put out an article talking about how he wanted to make himself more available to younger individuals who were pursuing a career in real estate and wanted to be available to share his guidance and advice. He started the company when he was 15, 16 years old, and I'm sure had a similar type of mentor as well. So I took him up on that offer at the Wall Street Journal, and I ended up uh, reaching out to him directly through a phone call. Sure enough, next week, I'm sitting in his office, having a very enjoyable conversation for a few hours, learning his whole backstory, his experience, and all that sort. What came out of that meeting, interestingly, was everyone that I had met with prior uh, to him told me or their guidance was, look, you want to pursue real estate acquisitions or finance or more intellectual level, 
you need to go back and get your master's degree, your business degree, put some time in doing just work experience and kind of work your way up the ladder in, in that sense. And Francis took a completely different approach, which threw me completely off guard and also introduced a new concept to me that I had never really thought of when I was even doing brokerage. A lot of people out there have the misconception that the only way that you are in the real estate business is if you have money and then you have access. What really is the case is that if you know how to raise money and if you know how to interact and engage investors, then you don't need the money to then also access the deals and create your own real estate company. So his guidance was learn how to raise capital, learn how to syndicate real estate. You can always hire real estate brokers. You can always hire acquisitions people to underwrite deals and source them and all that stuff. But if you have access to the equity, you can raise capital, then the future has, is limited to that extent. And that's really was Francis speaking from true experience because as a teenager back in the 60s, and he came from nothing. He wasn't even in the real estate business either. Identified a few older investors that backed him. And that's really how he kicked off his career in the real estate business. And fast forward almost 60 years later, where that has taken him and Time Equities to now be a company that owns over 350 properties throughout North America, Canada, Western Europe, which equates to a valuation of over $6 billion. So I followed that path. And, and guidance very quickly. At that simultaneously, at that same time, he did offer me an internship to pursue at a newly created department at Time Equity. It's called the Equity Department, which was pivoting from a family and friends model, which really was the core of Time Equities over the last 30, 40 years. And in that 2010, 2011 era was when the Equity Department was born, headed up by my mentor as well, David Becker who were basically trying to identify alternative capital sources for time equities coming out of 2010, 2011 global financial crisis, where there was a tremendous amount of opportunity to buy deals. The financial markets haven't really recovered from a lending standpoint. So to accumulate outside investor capital to then partner alongside of time equities core capital just provided us with additional buying power to accelerate buying some very great opportunities throughout the next, I'd say, five to eight years as we were coming out of 2010-2011 crisis. It's really interesting because you have such a long career with time equities. What made you excited about doing something new within the firm? Like, What about the equity decision that you said, this is it, I know there's a great opportunity set here and I want to do this? Well, I mean, if you look at it, at that time, this was a 45-year-old real estate investment company that had remained private, had not gone to the public markets, it had not partnered with institutions. It was essentially a large family office that had not been exposed to the typical retail investor or the financial advisor wealth management world or even institutions for that matter. So if you think about when you're analyzing making an investment in real estate, yes, the deal itself is something that you can dig into, but who's the sponsor and what's their track record? And to find a company that had the track record and had the sponsorship and had the backstory and a passionate individual like Francis, I would have a hard time, I think, replicating that exact dynamic all over again in that way. Francis took a very good leap of faith with me by bringing me on board. And I think he saw my ambition to really want to pursue a long career here at Time Equities. 
and grow the equity department, to, especially to where it has gotten today, 10 years later. My, my 10th anniversary was actually three days ago, November 11th. Or like November two minutes 7th. ago. <laughs> um, Congratulations. And I think we're only scratching the surface yeah. with what abilities we have to further carry time equities into a larger kind of capital raising and availability type space where people can access us and the various different opportunities that we are making available. When did I come to visit you guys? Was it like three years ago? <laughs> Time Probably. Lost I mean, if money. you consider we've, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's hard to think that the last two years have kind of gone by like that. Yeah. Think about it. 2019 was kind of the last time. Exactly. You know, Usually I would ask about how you help your clients, but what really resonated with me after meeting you and Francis and David and your team is how you guys have structured and thinking about winning for time equities, winning for your clients, winning with all of the people that work with you, with whether it's broker dealers or RAs or, and I always feel like it's such a unique and refreshing way to think about every aspect, putting time equities, putting themselves in the shoes of the client or the people that you work with and saying like, how do we make this a win-win situation for everyone? And I always walked away thinking, wow, that was really cool and different. Well, look, when you are the investor in every single deal, which we are significantly in, our money is the investor's money. And in all cases, our money is at a high. We have more money in the deal than the actual investors do, which is a, again, is a very rare dynamic to find in a real estate company, especially today. If you go back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you had real estate companies that were buying real estate. You didn't have what I've noticed, especially over the last probably five to 10 years, is when I started here, the syndication model has really, really, really blown up. You know, you have anyone could go out and get financing and buy a deal if they were able to raise a little bit of money. You have the crowdfunding wave that has really kind of taken over, in some instances, the ability and access for people to invest. The problem is that you have all these individuals that are buying all these deals and there's so much competition and so much investor capital going after all these deals. But if you look down at the sponsorship of many of these individuals, they're barely even putting in any money alongside the investors. I, I actually enjoy looking at some of these deals because some of the fees that are charged to syndicate these deals are actually the same amount of money that the sponsors are putting in the deal. So away, they're not actually not even putting any money into the deal. They're just charging the investors fees to then to then say they're co-investing in the deal. Whereas we are actually putting in, when we decide to buy a deal, we're prepared to buy it 100% ourselves with 100% of our own capital. But recognizing that we have various different buckets of investors that have different uh, diversification, income, and liquidity needs, we're constantly playing this matchmaking service to help get people as balanced and diversified as possible, but at the same time, make sure that they're able to generate good income for their families, their beneficiaries, their states, as well as allow them to access for liquidity if and when they actually need it. As you know, real estate is a good investment, but at the same time, the flexibility that we have here, especially with our internal core capital to create those types of liquidity accommodation for people. Yeah, totally. Since the TEI equity department was formed, how has it developed or pivoted from the original business strategy and why? I wouldn't say it's really kind of pivoted. It's really developed over the years 
mainly just due to bandwidth and also an expanding network of individuals that we are interacting with. When we first came out with our first diversified fund, it was a very boutique offering. I think we raised $17 million total over the course of you know a year, which if you think about that is not a lot of money. That could maybe buy one property. But what happened is due to the fact that you have a time equity sponsor behind these programs, the funds actually just end up piggyback in small partial interests off of all the deals that we're buying for ourselves at that point in time. So fund one, even though it was a $17 million fundraise, owns, I think, 18 or 19 different interests in a very well-balanced portfolio of properties that are spread all across the US, as well as different asset classes. And that's ultimately what our investment philosophy is, is to take as large or small of investors that comes to us and try to deliver them as well-balanced and diversified a portfolio across geography and by asset class and not have any offering or any investor overweighted in any category or holding to a specific property. And the philosophy behind that is just to create resilient income and preservation of capital. While we had a very good 10-year run and uh, we weren't really tested much, but really tested us was pandemic. Uh, because across all asset classes, you had various disruption in rental payments and vacancy loss and or, or occupancy loss and so on and so forth. And our distributions, while we did reduce them only by a third, it was not reflective of the actual performance of the property. We made the reduction purely out of caution to build up extra cash uh, in case there were any major events that would happen. But in all reality, looking back at the performance, the actual earnings that fluctuated between 2020 and 2021 were off by six or seven to like 5.3, 5.5. They didn't go to zero. They didn't go to one. They were very, very resilient altogether. So that just goes to show you that the philosophy of being diversified and having a, a diversified and resilient portfolio is very important to individuals. But to answer your question, actually, yeah. to go on how it's developed yeah. over the last 10 years, What's happened is that fund one and fund two and fund three and fund four, they just, as our name continue to get out there, our network continue to expand, the capital raise continue to double and triple and so on and so forth. We've also heavily over the last, I'd say, five years, gotten very much involved in the tenant exchange space where we are essentially acting as tenant exchange accommodators by allowing people to access our acquisition pipeline rather than be invested inside of a large DST with a lot of other investors, we can break off allocations of the deals that we're buying and allow 10 different exchange investors to access these allocations. Now, we are in control of the assets, which is really typically what everybody wants, but the ability for us to customize these 10 different exchanges for individuals, as well as think about their longer-term financial needs rather than just making a placement and forgetting about it, we're ultimately trying to solve for when it comes to people's tentative exchanges are, again, it goes back to what income do you need? What are your liquidity needs? And how tax efficient can we be over the course of the ownership period, even if it's going into the next generation for that matter, which is what many people actually end up coming to us thinking about the next generation that are going to inherit the investments that they've made with time increase. So the exchange business has become 
something that has developed significantly over the last five years. And we're now at a crossroads where we have a lot of different investor capital coming at us, both 1031 exchanges as well as direct investments. And due to the time equity discipline of not overpaying, not conscious about price and not letting capital drive acquisition decisions, we're in a situation now where we have a tremendous amount of our own capital, investor capital that is sitting patiently waiting for deals. And what David and I have started doing is looking at our strategic partner relationships, many of which have that Time Equities has an affiliation with one way or the other, or that Time Equities will actually do their own due diligence on to essentially approve it kind of an outside sponsor. And we're trying to tap into those pipelines as well to further build out a acquisition pipeline so that we can better serve people that want to be in business with us. That's fantastic. I'm going to go a little off script, Alex. And right. I'm going to ask, want to think about probably the most memorable moment with him. It's a lot to think about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to digest that answer. Because it's really interesting because when you first met him, you had that aha moment, that whole thing, like your mind is blown, right? What you told us earlier. But kind of more recently, a memorable takeaway of what he's thinking about the market or where you're like, wow, that was really interesting what he just said. I will say that I've been in countless meetings, investor meetings, acquisition meetings, financing meetings. You know, we're building a very large tower in Chicago right now. So that's been quite a tremendous project that we've had to restart a couple of times. But we're now in the ground going vertical, actually, in December on a 74-story apartment building in downtown Chicago. What continues to impress me about him, this maybe I've taken after him a little bit in terms of how calm I am. <laughs> People get a little stressed out with how calm I am in many instances, and also how just optimistic I am about a lot of things. But his ability to be calm and to be extremely creative and independent thinking as it relates to a specific investor need, and that could be a $25,000 investor in a fund that he will meet with and spend an hour or two with and really get to know who they are, what they want, and make a proper recommendation in terms of whether they should invest with us or not, for that matter. He's completely okay saying, no, we aren't the best option for you. So the level of genuine transparency and honesty that he has with, with everybody simply does not waste time and also just caring for that matter is something that I've taken after significantly in my life, not only in business, but also just personal relationships as well. But I think that just overall, there, there is very hard to kind of drill down on one specific instance, but the ability to challenge the marketplace and to be creative and independent when it comes to structuring investment opportunities and not being afraid to come out with an offering that contradicts what everybody else is doing. And David and myself will sit there and we'll be worried. We'll be like, well, I'm, we're not sure we can do this. We're not sure this will sell. But he has a level of confidence in the equity department to actually come through and deliver on all these various strategies. It gives David and myself faith in our ability to achieve things that we didn't think we could achieve, let alone probably the marketplace didn't probably think we could achieve. But we did. I think there's a level of just confidence, independent thinking, and just straight up passion into every single possible deal that we buy and investor that we take into the family. 
Yeah. I think if you're confident about your product, then your confidence is going to sell. That's for sure. Alex, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love this job because every day I learn something new and that's what gets me excited and love doing these podcasts. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Prime Alpha's Visionaries and Innovators podcasts. As always, you can head over to primealpha.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out our other podcasts. See you next time. Thank you.